Well, you're no spring chicken. Can you believe that's what my neighbor said to me when I told her that I was pregnant? I guess she just didn't understand what a miracle this was for me. She's been a tad cranky ever since she found that scorpion in her girdle drawer. But I don't hold it against her. I don't think she believed me. Zachariah and I, we had tried all our lives to have a baby on our own. And by the time my hair had turned gray and Zachariah's had turned loose, well, we'd pretty much given up hope of having a child on our own. But with God, nothing is impossible. He seems to delight in bringing life to barren places. And if that weren't enough, the angel who brought us this news, this incredible news, told us that our son, our son would be the person who would prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. It's just too much of a gift to be real. And then I thought, how do we train up a child for a job like this? Oh, but God had all those details covered. And it just keeps getting better. When I was about six months pregnant, my cousin Mary came for a visit. And um, when she said hello, the baby inside me flipped and jumped. And right then I realized that this young woman standing in my home was also with child. And he would be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. About nine months later, we got the news from Bethlehem. I looked over at Zachariah holding our miracle baby. And I had one of those God moments, one of those moments when you realize that God had other plans. He had not forgotten us. He had brought life to barren places. And he would never leave us alone again. All right. Those are all of our uh, other announcements. We could get into where the start of the Advent series. It's my favorite thing. Um, I know some people like really, really don't like Christmas. I think a part of it is that a lot of the Christmas has lost its original meaning. It's turned too commercial, and uh, it's about stuff. And that's unfortunate uh, because this is a time of year we remember that, that our God loves us deeply. And so that's why we're taking this time, this month after Thanksgiving. We start with thanking God for who he is and the blessings that he has provided for us as a nation. I love that we get to do that. And immediately after that, we begin to prepare our hearts for remembering who God is and what he has done and the amazing gift of, that God came to earth. <laughs> And what he's done. And so uh, throughout the years, uh, throughout the millennia, the church has, has celebrated this. We call it Advent, the, the coming of Christ. And, and so we have some traditions that are part of that. And traditions are only helpful if they keep their meaning, right? Otherwise, they're just silly things that we do. So part of the, the Advents is we have an Advent wreath. And this is the week that we celebrate life. And that's the wreath itself. And the reason that there is a wreath, you'll notice that you see wreaths everywhere through Christmas. You're like, why would we do that? Well, it's pretty, yes. But the reason why the wreath, there's a couple of things. The first one is the wreath is, is like a crown. 
And in the ancient times, back in, you know, when there was Rome and things like that, if there was a, a victor, a, a gladiator who won all this kind of stuff, they would put a crown, of, a laurel, that would hang outside of, of their home, You're like a king, like there's, there's victory that lives here. And when we hang a wreath outside of our homes as Christians, we remember that there's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords came and he overcame the world and he saved us. And there's, a, there's an actual king, that's a great thing, isn't that fun? But also in our Advent, is it, the candles are set on a wreath. It reminds us it's green. You'll notice that the wreath is always made of evergreen. It reminds us that it's life. And that's the theme of this week is life. As our God is a God of life. But it's not just that there's, it's, it's green and, and, and it's, it's life, the evergreen, but it is in that circle. It reminds us of eternal life. There's not an end to it. So when we see wreaths and things like this, and in this week of Advent, it's a, a reminder that our God is a God of victorious, is a victorious God, and he brought us eternal life. He's a God of eternal life. And he brings us life in dead places, right? In barren places. And that was really when we heard, uh, when Sherry did that great job of, of uh, talking about Elizabeth's story, how God has been in the habit of doing this for a long time. In fact, the beginning of Christ, his story, the, the Advent story, really begins with that, a reminder that our God can bring life, even in places that we would consider completely dead. So we're going to talk about that, but first, there is a memory verse that we're going to. Every week we do a memory verse, because we want to have God's word with us. And our memory verse for this series, the entire series, is going to be this. So there's not going to be a lot of graphics and stuff, so we're going to spend a lot of time with this. And it was actually even quoted uh, in, the, uh, in the skit. It comes to us from a, an ancient uh, prophecy that was written in the 7th century by the prophet Isaiah. And it was written at a time, Isaiah wrote this at a time, when, when the kingdom of Israel was falling apart. Uh, there was the, the people of God, the Jewish people, had, had divided into two separate kingdoms. And ten went north and two stayed south. And the ones that went north also continued to move away from God. And he was very patient with them for hundreds of years and, and tried to bring them back. But they were very pretty steadfast saying, we're going to worship idols. In fact, they had in their sacred worship place, they set up a golden calf. As that's their main place for worship or their sanctuary at a place called Shechem. And God was patient with them. But by the time that, that Isaiah came around, it was pretty much near the end. And so it seemed like as a Jewish person, it seemed as though God's promises may have been falling apart. With, with the people of God seeing the 10 out of 12 seem to be falling away, right? And the Assyrians were knocking on the door. And, and it, it, was, it was a time of trouble, especially for the faithful. But also for those that were in the southern portion, it was a time that they too were under besiege. When this was, was penned, the people of Israel, were, they had their, their capital, Jerusalem, was surrounded by enemy troops, and it looked as though all had been but lost. And in the midst of this, God offers a prophecy that is amazing, and the Jews held to this. And it said, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Right? And, his, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father prince of peace that god wasn't done the circumstances that they found themselves that wasn't all it wasn't the end of the story there was a promise there and god did carry his faithful through and 700 years later that prophecy became reality 
and we celebrate that, which is why we're going to memorize this throughout this series. But here we go. Say it along with me. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And it's Isaiah 9.6. Very good, right? Isn't that amazing? Let's go to the Christmas story. Let's talk about uh, Elizabeth. So if you have your Bible, I would have you turn to Luke chapter 1. If you need a Bible, we have lots of them in the back on on these uh, bookshelves. And if you don't have a Bible or you need a new one, uh, keep it. Our gift to you. You could just have it. Great things to have. And uh, if you have one of our Bibles, it's on page 714. And as you're turning there, the Gospel of Luke was was written uh, by the only Gentile that wrote anything in, in the New Testament. Isn't that cool? And he wrote so much that uh, he ran out of scroll, and so that he continues on in a whole other scroll, and that's called the, the book of Acts, right? So the Gospel of Luke goes all the way through Christ's life, and then Acts begins with, with how the Holy Spirit begins and the growth of the church, which is really cool. And, and Luke talks about how he came about with this information because he didn't walk with Jesus, right? He wasn't there. He was a Gentile. So he talks about how he got this right. He, he, was, he didn't want to make sure that he wasn't just believing hearsay. He wanted to make sure that if he's going to follow Christ, it was real, it was true. So he talks about right there in the beginning of this chapter, his, his, his method becomes the first investigative journalist. He goes and he eyewitness interviews people. I think that's awesome. He interviews those who were actually there. And he goes and gets all the corroborating reports and all those things and through the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit begins able to put this together and edit it and all this kind of stuff to make sure that we have an accurate account of Christ's life. And he begins not just with Jesus. I love how Luke starts. He doesn't just start with Jesus. There was somebody that came before Jesus that was very, very important, and that was John the Baptist. And how even how John the Baptist, the, the last great prophet of the Old Covenant, how he came to this world was miraculous. And uh, we got to hear the story. Elizabeth was his mom. And so we begin with her story, and in, in verse 5, we see that her story begins like a lot of our stories begins. It begins with pain. So in verses uh, 5 and uh, through 7, it says, uh, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And his wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Starts out pretty simple enough. He was a family, a godly family, a ministry family. You know, and, and born in the right family and the right people, but in a difficult time. He was born in the time of Herod, and, and if we know of history is. Herod wasn't all that faithful of a king, we started with. It, that Jerusalem and, and, and all of the Jews were under the subjugation of Rome. And, and so it was very difficult <laughs> to practice faith, especially at that time in that place. It was a hostile environment. And yet you have this family who, who's dedicated their lives to ministry. And, and in the Old Covenant, in order to be able to serve in, in the temple itself, you had to not just be in the, the right tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe, but she also had to be uh, from the very direct descendant of, of the first high priest Aaron. And so uh, they were part of this, the right people, blessed by even where they were in their birth, a calling that seemed that was there. And not only did they have that, but they lived the life. Verse 6, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Wouldn't it be cool if God could say that about you or me? Right? How awesome were these people? Like, they had dedicated their life in a difficult time. 
They had dedicated their life to serving God. And it was real. It was legitimate. It wasn't just a show for them. Right? This, everything that they were doing, they were living for God. They were doing things right. And you would think that the good kind of people, born in the right place, blessed of God that way, doing the right things, that they shouldn't be, have any kind of pain. Right? They're doing what's right. And yet, we see the next thing, that though both of them were righteous, verse 7, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. That messes with your head, doesn't it? When you're doing all the right things, you feel like you're honoring God and yet you still suffer. And God has the ability really easy to stop the suffering. Here you have this couple who is honoring God and they're of the right lineage. In fact, it's really important to continue to pass that lineage on. There weren't many people that were just born from the same tribe of Aaron, both him and his wife, right? This is a big deal. And you would think, God, it makes no sense why you won't just give us a kid. I was blessed. Uh, My wife and I were able to have Thomas, and so we didn't go through a time where we had that longing of of wanting a child and not being able to have one. But I've known enough people that have gone through that to know that it is a, a special kind of wound. There is, there is an emptiness and a pain. And, and, and like, why, God, why won't you answer this? And here you have this couple doing all the right things in all the right places. And yet God still doesn't open her womb. She, she still can't have a child. And I imagine, and it wasn't just for a short period of time. I imagine she was like in her early 20s and then she got married and all this kind of stuff. And, and things were exciting. She's like, oh, okay, we're going to have a kid. And she watches all of her friends start to have babies, and they can't, and that's difficult, and you, know, you start to get worried, and you get to like your 30s, and then you start to feel the, your clock, and you're like, man, we're running out of time, and then in your 40s, and at some point, you just, in your 50s and 60s, and you start to just give up, and, and there's not anything really wrong with that. Sometimes we just have to have a death of a, of a dream, right? Sometimes this world is not going to give us, fulfill us completely. We talked about that last week in contentment, that sometimes God asks us to serve in painful places because he's not keeping us there forever. And it's not so much what we suffer, it's how we suffer that matters. And I think Elizabeth and her husband at some point had given this up. And there was a scar there, but it was a deep scar. There was still a longing. And so she lived for all of these years, and it was really she passed the test, I would say, in a, in a, in a lot of ways. You know, in that culture, if you were a, a woman and you couldn't have a kid, oftentimes people thought it was because God was cursing you. Like, there was something wrong with you morally or something like that. That's why he wouldn't bless you with a child. And here is this priestly family, and it makes no sense, and they actually are. And when the Bible says that they were blameless, right? It doesn't mean that they were totally sinless, but they were keeping God's words. They were good people. They loved the Lord. But everybody who looked at them would look at Elizabeth and say, there's something wrong with her. Everything looks right on the outside, but she must be wicked somehow, right? And she didn't even deserve it. And she suffered for decades. And that doesn't mean, this doesn't say that she suffered perfectly or beautifully. People don't suffer in a pretty way. I imagine there were days over at their home where there were a lot of tears and maybe some anger. Because you know when you grieve, that's natural, isn't it? And for, for decades, there was pain, and eventually that open wound started to scar, but it never healed. It just scarred up. And she gave it to God, apparently. And she gets to this point where apparently she's not even looking for it. Her husband's not even looking for this anymore. They just stopped even praying. When I say she passed the test, is this. Is there are times in our life we have to have that death, something that we think is so important. 
And I have to say, you know, nothing's more important than God. And if he asks me to serve here, this is not my hope. This is my, not my home. My hope and my home are somewhere else. Sometimes we just have to give up those things. And here's the test. It's a crucible. Because oftentimes what we do is we, we cling to the thing that we should let go. And we cling to that which is dead instead of clinging to the Lord of life. And here's a family that grieved it. And, and at the end of the day, they didn't walk away from their faith because God wasn't being fair. Because the world wasn't fair. Because they were suffering. They didn't abandon their faith because of that. But how many of us sometimes do? They passed the test. They went through the crucible. In fact, even Scripture says that we're going to suffer all kinds of things. And the reason that we suffer things is so that our faith, which is far more precious than even pure gold, it can be proven true and, and trustworthy and, and pure and will result in praise and glory and honor when Christ returns. And she was in the crucible for a long time, wasn't she? And the pain, it burned off the dross of her life and showed her what was really most important, even more than having a heritage or even having people falsely accuse her of wickedness that she didn't even own. To be able to say, you know what, God, I don't have power over this, but I'm still going to be faithful. My husband's still going to serve in your temple, even though you won't give me what I so desperately want. That's passing the test. And that's a hard test. And it wasn't a short test because she was old. It starts with pain. And I think for a lot of us, it starts with pain. And, and, and we see in her life, this wasn't a woman that just had everything handed to her. It was a time, a great long period of her life when it felt like the, the sovereign hand of God was withholding. But it didn't end there. The next thing that we find that happens is there's a promise. If you go to uh, verse 8 through 21, you're going to read this really cool story. And I'm not going to read it for you, but this week I encourage you to go back through and read it. Let me summarize. Here you have this old man, this priest, Zechariah. And he finally gets called up and his chance to go serve in the temple. You just didn't just go serve every weekend, right? You're in a rotation and it comes around very, very seldom. And it's, it's a huge honor and he's been practicing basically his whole life exactly what to do, Right? And you go into the temple, and it's dark in the temple, by the way. You go into this holy space that very few people have ever been. Because there's a, there's a, it's set apart, it's different. It, it's a space for, for God to, to prepare to meet with, with people. And he goes in there, and, and he starts to do his work. And then all of a sudden, an angel appears. And it freaked him out, Right? Have you ever been like hungry at night and you go up into your like kitchen, you open the refrigerator and there's a little bit of light there and you're getting a snack out of the refrigerator and all of a sudden like somebody like gets out of bed and you didn't hear them walk up and they're just like standing there? <laughs> Does that ever happen to you? Because that happens to me. And, right? It gives you a start, right? You're like, Bwah! what are you doing? Well, he thought he would be in there all by himself, right? And practicing for years, doing all this, all of a sudden, and it wasn't just anybody, it was an angel, which are terrifying on themselves. He's like, ah, right? And the angel says, hey, uh, don't be afraid. And he's like, too late, right? Because freaked out. And he just says, hey, I'm here. I got a message for you. Uh, you know that um, you haven't been able to have a kid? And he's like, yeah, I kind of remember that. Well, um, you're going to have a kid. And, and, and so Zechariah's like, uh, that's awesome. Uh, but I don't know if you noticed, we're kind of old. Maybe you got the wrong people, maybe, uh, wrong rotation. Maybe it was tomorrow or something like that. He, he starts to question the angel. And the angel's like, I'm done with listening to your things. I'm here to tell you. So you're going to be quiet. In fact, you're not going to talk for the next nine months, right? <laughs> I want you to listen. You're going to have a kid. And you're going to name John. And he's going to be a really great prophet. And he's going to prepare the way for Messiah. And, and Zachariah's like, and he couldn't talk. 
right? Which is kind of funny because then um, it takes him an extra time because then he's got to finish his work up in there and then he comes out and people, they're going to send like a search party in there for him because they think that something happened to him. Like maybe he had a heart attack or something, an old guy back there working and so they're like worried about him. So they're about ready to go in and here he comes out and they're like, are you okay? And he's like, and he can't talk, which had to be hilarious, right? Because he's like, what happened? He's like, I taught angel, right? But so then he's like, give me some paper. So he writes it down, and they're like, Gee, okay, you're going to have a baby, you an angel, like crazy old kook, right? <laughs> then he goes, and he tells his wife. And, and can you imagine how difficult that is? Because they hadn't, she's still in the midst of, of having that scar, right? And it was finally probably numb when she didn't think about it. But now her husband just rips it open. We're going to have a, a kid, because they don't have a kid yet, by the way. And she is very old, and so is he. But there was, this, there was pain, and then there was this promise of God. And Zachary just had to tell her, you're gonna, you're gonna, we're going to have a kid. And I think it's amazing how often it happens that way. That ever since the beginning, we start with pain, and then there's the promise first, right? Before we ever get anything beyond that. That God started, we sinned, and then all of a sudden, there was a promise that there would be a Redeemer. We see so many times in, throughout history how that God will step in and before we see his power of the promise, he says, I want you to trust me in this first. And regardless if you're going to trust me or not, I'm still going to come through, but I want you to trust me. And there was a promise that Elizabeth had to either own or reject. At that point, imagine she was probably turmoiled. Do you really want to trust God now? I mean, after all these years of him not answering my prayers, is, is now really the time I want to trust him? When it seems mostly ridiculous and quite honestly, it's kind of an insult, <laughs> like having a baby now? But there was a she handled that in a, in a much different way. And so she gets this promise. Zechariah gets this promise. Zechariah does. And then, then we get to the, the cool part, and that's the power. See, God doesn't just make promises. He keeps promises. So you look at verse 25, and I, I love this. And it says, um, or verse 24, it says, After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant for five months and remained in seclusion <laughs> after this. First was the promise. And they had no reason other than this, their raw faith that God is a person that's going to keep his, his word. He's, he's a God that keeps his word. And then she gets pregnant. And how exciting that would be. God shows up in their life in a miraculous way that they never could have, have, have foreseen coming before, right? Just amazing. And in verse 25, her answer to this, when she's in the midst of experiencing God's power, is this, the Lord has done this for me. Just that personal relationship. God became real in her own life. It wasn't that he was just the God of the temple. He wasn't just the God of scripture. He was the God who invaded her life, who addressed her real pain. And he didn't save her from her scar. He actually saved her through it. I think that's really cool. And she's like, God is, is actually, it's not just this big God that's looking at me from a distance. He cares and he knows. And he did this. And I love how she says, he did this for me, verse 25. In these days, he has shown his favor and has taken away my disgrace amongst the people. This is more than just a baby for her. It was vindication. All of those people, even those people that were far more sinful than her, that got to have babies 
and flaunted it forward and looked down their nose and saying, you must be secretly sinful. That's why you can't have one. Now all of a sudden, now she doesn't just have a baby. She has a, a, a miracle baby. And not just a miracle baby. A miracle baby is going to be the coolest prophet. <laughs> one that's announced by angels, right? That kind of bumps you up on the whole social order sector. Like, isn't that pretty cool? Like God vindicated me and did it in a very public way. And so what does she do? Does she go out and just flaunt it at first? Like, hey, everybody. Five months, she's in seclusion. Why? Well, I think for starters, it's hard to have a baby, right? It's like when you're, like when Amy was, pre- was a young woman when she got pregnant. And I think there's a reason why it's usually young women. It's, they shouldn't just call the last couple hours labor. I think the whole thing should be called labor. Because it is a hard work having a baby. You're just like a pregnant woman. Like she's building a human. Right? This is exhausted and eats weird stuff, right? And, and nothing's comfortable. And, and then you get further along, you can put on your shoes right and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's hard work it's, for a young woman. Think about if you're 90. That's really tough. I think the first, you know, five months is like, this is a real blessing. <laughs> right? I don't really want to go many places, right? I got this little thing dancing on my bladder and I'm already 90, so that's not great right? In seclusion. Experiencing the power of God, though. She can't deny what's inside of her. And it begins to grow. And I think part of it, too, is everybody wants to touch her belly, right? Because it's a miracle, and everybody wants to touch her and wants to save you, be part of this. And I think she wanted to treasure this. She had waited a long time. I think there's something, there's a wisdom of this old godly woman, Oftentimes we, we wait so long, we have this pain and we finally, uh, we have the promise, we cling to it and we finally experience God's, God's power in our life and the first thing we do is we rush out and we forget to actually enjoy it. We start just telling everybody, look at me! <laughs> look at God! Right? But there's something that she's just enjoying this. Now there was, there was a, a power that she experienced in her life that was part of her testimony that changed her testimony in, in a remarkable way. And then with that, we go and we find that there is then praise. You have this in uh, verse 58. Uh, she, meets with, um, <laughs> she meets with Mary. And Mary shows up. And Mary, at that point, also was pregnant. And Christ was in her womb. And they come together. And, uh, and when Mary came close, his side of, of, of Elizabeth, John the Baptist, somehow sensed it, even in this infant thing, and he jumps. He's like, woohoo, right? There was something in him, I don't know. And, and Elizabeth felt that. She's like, and it, she knew how to interpret this. I don't know how she knew to interpret, but she knew. It's like, you have the Messiah in you, right? And, and they celebrate this fact of these miracle births. One, Elizabeth as an old woman who had a barren womb, and, and, and you have Mary as a young woman, as a virgin. Both shouldn't be able to have children, and both have these miracle children that are going to change the world. And they celebrate, and Mary ends up saying in verse 58, and in there, uh, she says, um, or verse 57, says, uh, is when Elizabeth gave birth to her son, oh wait, let me go back up. It says, uh, Verse 46, sorry, Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me in his holy name. 
His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm and has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers of thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty. He has helped the servant of Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now think about a young woman being able to speak that kind of thing, but in the presence of, of Elizabeth, this old godly woman, and what do they do with this blessing, this power of God they're experiencing? They add their voice of praise to the generations before that. You see, they, they recognize it wasn't just for them. That God didn't bless them because they were so awesome. They're saying, we're humble. God didn't choose us because we were amazing. God chose us because he's amazing and he's doing amazing things. And we're experiencing his power. So they add their voice and it says, you know, just like to Abraham, right, and all of his descendants, we're adding our voice to the chorus of praise that our God is just simply good. And I'll tell you, it's an amazing thing when you are around people who can testify God has been good, but he's not just been good to me. He is just simply good. And look at the history of him being good. We point all the way back even to, to Noah. I mean, God could have just wiped us from the face of the planet, but he didn't. And we look back to Abraham, and God could have just forgotten us and didn't give us a promise. Or we wouldn't even know who Messiah was, but he didn't. God is a God who continues to be good, and he's good not just for those big names in Scripture. He's good for all of his children, and we get to add our voice to the chorus of praise. And that's what she got to do. And Mary got to do even her presence, and they celebrate together. And then in verse 58, then when the baby is born, you know, we get down there at 57, it says, when Elizabeth had birth to her son, her neighbors and her relatives heard the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared in her joy. That's what it says. How cool is that? When God blesses you, it's not as though he's putting you on on a uh, a pedestal and saying you're better than other people. His blessings aren't there to make other people envious. There's a splash effect, a benefit that God does. When he blesses us, when he comes through and his power comes into our life, it it benefits and it's supposed to build the faith of others, right, as well. Because God is not just good for you, he's good for all. And so his relatives, the neighbors, they, they see this amazing thing. And it wasn't just that Mary was, and Elizabeth was, was pregnant. It wasn't just Elizabeth gave birth to a baby. She gave birth to a prophet, a prophet that was to precede the Messiah. This was a, a child of promise and of great hope that God hadn't forgotten. It wasn't just a blessing for Elizabeth and her family. It wasn't just vindication for her. It was a sign that God, after 400 years of silence, was on the move. You know, a lot of people feel that God has been silent which is silly because he's speaking all the time and he's doing amazing things in this world all the time. And a lot of what he's doing is in the miracles and the li- our very lives. Elizabeth had a testimony and she didn't just say this was about me. I deserve this more than you. That's why God gave it to me. God was just vindicating me. No, God is doing awesome things. And everybody gets to come around and be part of this. That's an example of, of praise and that's her testimony. It's a powerful testimony, isn't it? Well, Hers is, is not different, I think, from, from ours. As far as humans go, we start with, at a point of pain, don't we? I mean, at a point of pain, even as humanity, God made this world into a paradise. And we live in a place that still looks like a paradise. But I've been in a lot of other places that it doesn't look so much like a paradise. But even here, even when it's a ho-hum day in paradise here, there's still pain, isn't there? And the reason that there's pain in this world is not that God is not good. In fact, Scripture says that therefore sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. That's why it's bad. There was a brokenness that happened in this planet, and God's not the one who introduced it. At the very beginning, the original sin was not that they ate from a fruit, from a tree. The original sin is that they wanted to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
They wanted to be like God. And that's what they took. They said, God, we want to be like you and be able to decide for ourselves what is right and wrong, to know what good and evil is, right? So what I say is right is right, not what you say is right, God. I want to obey me. We started that, and it says that Adam and Eve weren't the only ones, for the poison of that came to us, and in the same way, death came to all people, because all sinned. Now, that's horrible, and at the same time, it's also relieving. I think the horrible part is the fact is that there's reason that there's pain in everybody's life, and there's death, not just that we physically die, but that emotionally, spiritually, there is death. There's all kinds of pain in our lives, and, and I think that that's, that's, that's awful. We don't want people to suffer. But I think there's a part that's relieving, and it makes sense. There are a lot of people who can't come to faith in, in, a, in a good God because, in a powerful God if there's such a thing as pain. That's a ridiculous thought. They're not understanding who God truly is. God is good. We're the one that's not. The reason that there's pain in this world is because we, we hijacked God's creation from him. And our God is merciful and kind, and he allowed us to do it without just destroying us, which he could have done. But the repercussions of that are the fact that we're going to have pain in our life. We're all going to bear scars, and usually the scars we have are either because we hurt ourselves, right, or we hurt other people. And I don't know about you, but I think the hardest person in the world to forgive is me because I know that there's no real excuse. I might tell them there's an excuse and try to come up with one, but in the secret of my own heart, there's really not an excuse for hurting other people. And so we hurt ourselves and we hurt others, so we bear those scars. But also, we get hurt by other people regularly. Why? Because we're all fighting our little holy wars. We're thinking that we're right, and they're thinking that they're right, and we're fighting for our kingdom, and they're fighting for their kingdom, and sometimes our kingdoms clash, and the knives come out. That's the joy of, like, Thanksgiving and Christmas, isn't it? (laughs) That's what happens. And we hurt one another. We wound one another. We have all these scars in our life. And then we turn to God and say, why are you so bad while we're holding the bloody knife? There's pain. There is sin that that perpetuates from generation to generation, but it perpetuates in our own life. And without any intervention from God, that's what we would be stuck in. Can you imagine a world in which there is no God? There is no such thing as a real right and a real wrong. There is no hope. There is no help. People continue just to be more and more depraved and more and more degenerate. And there's, there's no stop to it. That's really where we would be without God. There would be no justice. There's no such thing as justice without God. Sin and death and pain. And not only that, we don't just suffer from other people and their actions and all this, but we also just suffer from a broken planet. We broke the entire universe. That's what it says in Scripture. Even the stars cry out. They're like, oh, and they're groaning. That's pretty bad. We broke everything. So we get things like sickness, right? We have our bodies fall apart. We have accidents that happen. We have just natural disasters that hit. These are not acts of God. These are acts of brokenness and acts of fallenness. And without God, those things have no redemption. We have that. We have death. But we also have shame. And I think shame is one of the most hard things of pain to work through. Shame is what keeps us oftentimes from, from experiencing the, the, the joy of God or the, or the salvation of God. As we say, we don't deserve it. And then we have to start with the fact, no, we don't. But a lot of people live locked up in shame. People wound them, they're victims, or they've done bad things, and then they will never let themselves heal because of shame. And it is as a prison of pain. Or we live in fear. What if other people find out? Or what if they hurt me again? There's anxiety. Pain is not something that is relegated to a select few. Pain is something that we all experience. It is part of the human condition. That is the first part. But just like Elizabeth, aren't you glad that's not the rest of the story? 
Because pain leads to something else, and it's a promise. God didn't leave us there. There was a promise of God. He tells us in Isaiah, 700 years before Christ even comes, at a time when the nation needed this promise desperately. He says that when we, we memorized it, he said, you know what, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And you know how he says this? It's not in the future tense. He says it in the present tense. I love it. Why? Because if God says it, it's as good as it's happened. If God promised, it's, it's as good as it's done. This is maybe not a present reality, but it's an absolute reality. I love that. You know, the reason is, look at how when God says something, it happens. In the beginning, there wasn't anything. So God said, let there be light. There wasn't light before. It didn't even exist. But all of a sudden, boom, it existed. If it didn't exist, God would be a liar. But God can't be a liar because if he speaks it, it becomes reality. And that's part of the power when, in the beginning, it says in, in the Gospel of John, John identifies Jesus as word. There's power there. God creates it. For to us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. I don't know when that will happen, but I know it's an absolute reality I'm banking on, as though it's happened already. And the government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Before the foundations of the earth, their son was already ready to be born. He had already chosen, right? That was the power of Christ. He came to redeem, and it wasn't just an accident. And he knew exactly, there was a promise for, for hundreds of years, the people of, of Israel, they clung to this, and they said, we, we need this. And then we receive the power. The power of God always comes after the promise of God. You've got to cling to the promise before you get to the power, right? But the power of God is this, that Jesus came. We read um, before this, we had Luke 1, that was the story of, of John the Baptist, right? His birth. But, bef- but that the John, uh, or sorry, Luke 19, at the end of that same gospel, Jesus is completing what he's done, and he said this, this is my body, which is broken for you, and this is my blood. It's the blood of a new covenant. There's a whole new way to be right. I'm going to save you, and I'm not going to save you by, by brushing all that sin and shame and brokenness under the rug. I'm going to take it with me. I'm going to die for it so you don't have to. That's the power of God, and this is how we can be then saved. This is for in Ephesians. It says, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves as a gift of God. That's power. Isn't it awesome? You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to do enough rituals or all these other things in order to be saved. You can be made right with God regardless of how broken you are. Regardless of your shame, God will then take away your shame. Regardless of what you've done wrong, God will pay for that and he will give you a new life in spite of it. And all you have to do is by faith. It's not even through all kinds of works. It's just by trusting him. And there are ways he tells us to express our faith. He wants us to believe. He wants us to repent, change how we live, right? He, he wants us to confess him, identify with him. He wants us to be baptized. He wants to be discipled. There's all kinds of ways that God says, I want you to express your faith. But you are saved by grace through faith. And as a gift, that is power. Something that you could never do for yourself and you don't deserve. He did it. That is the power and we've experienced that as humanity, haven't we? We've seen uh, to us a child has been born, a son is given. And you know the government, ultimately, Jesus is going to come back and the kingdom will be, the whole world will recognize his kingship. But you know, right now, today, even in this room, we recognize his kingship. Right now, the government's on his shoulders. Right now, he is wonderful counselor. We can actually trust what God says to do, right? Isn't that awesome? You don't have to wonder. I wonder if it's good advice. No, if Jesus tells you to do it, it's good advice. If it's in scripture, you can follow it. He's helping us, and he brings peace into our world even today. There is power today, and it should lead to praise. 
is Scripture, the very last book of the Bible. I love Revelation. People all freaked out about it. It's a book of praise. That's what it is. Over and over again, you have songs of angels, songs of saints, songs of all kinds of people saying, God is good. He wins. And you know what it says in Revelation 12? We even sing a song about this. It talks about the beast. The beast is the, the devil and all the ways he's been, been trying to fight God and his kingdom and keep us down and all this kind of stuff and destroy the church. And It says this. There's a promise that, that we triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb. That is the work of Christ, right? It's God's power, 100%, right? But in the word of their testimony. Testimony is firsthand experience, which means we have to experience God's power. But when we do, you can't stop that. Can you imagine if no one ever experienced God's power in their life? Do you think there would be churches filled with people? No, be empty. I mean, Christians who haven't experienced God's power are miserable people. When you experience God's power and he saves you and he works in your life, there's praise and you can't stop that. And there was praise and we say, you know, we've been a long, this has been a long song of praise to God because he's been good. All the way from Adam and Eve, all the way down to today. This is a story of humanity. This is the story of Christmas is part of that. It's the power of God entering the world so that life could grow in a dark and a, and a world filled with death. That's what we celebrate. Isn't that awesome? But it's not just a huge story for everybody. It is your story. There is a... Oh, let's go backwards. <laughs> I don't know why. I, oh, there we go. There is pain. You have pain. I, I know this because you're human. Jesus promised it. He says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But that was the first part of the promise. If you're experiencing that part of the promise, right, just because you're human, we're in this broken world, I want you to know this. You're not forgotten. God is not bad just because you're, you're suffering, right? This world is broken. You will suffer. And every one of us that are here, every person that is out in the community, every person is singing Christmas carols and buying stuff and doing all kinds of things, every person that looks like everybody suffers and everybody has scars. And if you are here today and you have scars, know this, you're not alone. But that's not the end of the story. You have pain, and I don't know what it is, and it's very real. And right in the midst of it right now, maybe that's where you are. Because I tell you what, Elizabeth was in her pain for 90 years. Well, take off the first 20, 70 years of her life. You might be in the midst of that. Know this. It's not what you suffer. It's how you suffer that matters. But also know it's not the rest of the story. The first promise, you said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to suffer, right? But it kept going. It says, but I give you my peace. For I've overcome the world. What a promise. I mean, why take hold of the first part of that promise if you're not going to take hold of the second part? Oh, cling to God. There is a promise for you. A Messiah has come. He has come not just to take away our sins, but to change our very lives and to bring us a whole new way of living, right? To transform us from the inside out, to, to, to have this metamorphosis, even how we think, right? He's, he's changed us from being his enemies to his very own children. There is a promise of God. You can be saved by his grace through faith. That's it. And if you continue to follow him, there is discipleship and transformation for you. There is a power in living for you. You can experience his power. That's his promise. And right now, you might be in the midst of pain, and you don't see that power yet. I'm going to tell you, keep clinging. You might be like Elizabeth. Keep clinging. You just keep holding on, because God is not slow to keep his word. There are times that he's working in your pain. And Elizabeth's testimony was so powerful because she had to endure so much. You need to, to keep clinging. There's a spirit that God, a fruit of the spirit God will give you is called long-suffering. It's one we think we don't want, but I'll tell you, it is the power to hold on. And maybe that's where you're at. Know that there was a promise and cling to it. But then, after the promise, after we cling to it, sometimes soon, sometimes far off, there is always God's power. He always comes through. 
And he doesn't always deliver us from our problems. Sometimes he delivers us through them. Right? Sometimes he does amazing things. He doesn't answer our prayers the way we think that he should, but he does something better. But you will experience his power because it says in the end that we overcome the enemy not just by the blood of the lamb, not just by his power, but the word of our testimony. That's firsthand experience. You are going to experience God's power in your life in an undeniable way. Every Christian needs to, and it's not just our salvation that he changes us, but seeing that we're living life with God, the transformation that he brings us through this crazy world called sanctification where he changes us from, from being who we were and the slow process of becoming the people that we know that we should be. God's power is, is going to show up in your life and maybe today you are experiencing his power. Maybe you've been praying for years and you've been suffering for years and now all of a sudden God is showing up and you're so just excited. Let me tell you, take a time to enjoy it. You've waited for it. God has done this for you. Let it soak in. Don't be ashamed, but also don't become haughty. Don't think that God is now answering this because somehow you, be, you are now more righteous. And God is doing this because he's good. And I will tell you that there's a time coming that we need to bring him praise. You need to add your voice, your testimony to what he has done for you. You just can't keep it bottled up. What a waste if you've gone through all of that pain and you finally see God's promise and you see his power in your life and then not to tell anybody. Let others enjoy that. It might encourage them. It might be the difference for them just clinging and holding on till his promise becomes power in their life too. And I'll tell you, for that last place, you've experienced his power and you've enjoyed it. The best thing to do is begin praying. Say, God, how, who, how can I bring you glory for this? Because it's a gift that he's giving you. It's a, it's a story of transformation. And that's the story that we begin worshiping or worshiping God. It was a story that we begin to worship our prayer, our hearts for worship for God. It's remembering that our God is a God of, of this. He starts by bringing life in barren places. Right? He's a God that can take pain and turn it into praise. So we're going to stick with him through this, this whole thing. And that's what this season begins about. And so as this week, as we begin to refocus on that, as you see the wreath, remind yourself that, that life comes, even in the midst of winter. There's an evergreen wreath for you. Right there is a crown of, of victory that God has won. And he's called us his own. And he's bringing life, not just ultimately, but even in your life. So hold on and bring him praise. How do we begin to practice this? What are some things we can do? The moral of the story is this. God brings life in barren places, remember. So trust his promise. Know he's there. And he hasn't abandoned you. Even if he's silent, he's there. Experience his power. Cling until he answers. And when he does, enjoy it. <laughs> This is for all Christians. And also then bring him praise. Don't just take credit for it or just enjoy it and then waste it. When God works, use something with it. So how do I put that into practice? You take out your connection card. There's some things that you can do. On the back side, I've got some commitments that you can do. The first thing you might want to do this week to start as we begin preparing our hearts for Advent is to memorizing and, and reminding ourselves and meditating, really thinking about what does this passage mean, this Isaiah 9.6. And for us, a, a, son is, a child is born. A son is given. The government is going to be on his shoulders. I mean, we could trust him. His name, he called. He's a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Memorize this, this season. And it's an amazing thing. Maybe what you need to do is read Luke 1. Read how God has been at work preparing this world for Christ, and he's at work still today building his kingdom. Or maybe what you need to do as is, is we prepare for the Christmas season and all this is, is you turn and, and trust God. 
Maybe you're in the midst of pain right now. I'm going to tell you, you need to start clinging to that promise. You just have to be ruthless. I remember when Amy was sick and I was going through a really hard time and there was a show that was really popular at the time that was called Survivor, right? And people kept getting booted off the island and I kept telling God, you're not booting me off your island, right? Because where am I going to go, right? So no matter how bad it is, I might not even like you right now, God. I'm not leaving because there's a promise. I'm going to trust you even though I don't understand it. Maybe that's for you. You've got to trust God. There is a promise and you hold, you hold him to it. You hold on to him until you see his power. Maybe that's what you, you start with this week, and you commit to that. Or maybe what you need to do is you've experienced his power, now you say, I'm committed to bringing him praise. There's a purpose in this, and it's not just so that my life is better. Add your voice to the chorus of those that have come from centuries before, millennia before, praising that God is good. Bring him praise this week. Or maybe this, what you do, is you just need to attend the next four weeks. Why? This is Advent. This is not Christmas, let's go buy presents and, and celebrate stuff under the tree. This is a celebrate the Savior of Jesus. All that other stuff's fine. But let's not miss the most important thing. Let's take these next couple weeks and let's prepare as a body of Christ and prepare our hearts and our minds, remind ourselves how great God is. Let's come together and bring Him worship that He deserves because He's awesome. And maybe that's what you commit to. Or maybe there's something else the Holy Spirit's telling you to do. Do it. Let me know so I can support you. I'll pray for you this week. And if there's anything else I can do to help, I will. Maybe there's another commitment to make. Let us know there. Or you might have a prayer request. Write that down. Here in a couple seconds, we're going to take our offering. As we take our offering, I want you to take these cards, the prayer requests, all that kind of stuff on them, drop them in the offering basket along with your tithes and your gifts. And, uh, and just let this be uh, an, also an offering of your spirit back to God. Be good stuff. All right, so let's pray for our offerings, pray for, for our commitments, and then we'll have the worship team bring us to close. Father God, we love you, not because uh, we're awesome and so uh, we're benevolent, we're going to love you, but God, that you are awesome and benevolent and you loved us. Even where you're enemies, you loved us. I'm thankful, God, that in the midst of our pain and brokenness, we broke this planet and we broke our lives. Each and every one of us have done things that have caused us pain. Lord, you didn't just abandon us there, but you've, you've given us a promise that Christ had come and he has come. Well, Father, I pray that you would help us be a, a church, a, a group of people, your body, a brother. We would be a people that would cling to that promise. And not just that you came the first time that you're coming again, God, and that you've got work for us to do and that you're working in us and your Holy Spirit is, is active in our lives. Let us cling to your promise, God. And Father, I pray too then you would help us to experience your power. And there are some here today that just need it so desperate, been waiting for a long time. And Father, I'm going to pray uh, a, a, a couple of things. One, I'm going to pray, Father, that you, that you step into their life, that they would experience you firsthand, that they would have firsthand testimony of what you've done. But Father, I'm going to pray the second thing. Until that happens, I pray that you bless them with the ability to endure. I pray that you would encourage them. God, that you will not give up on them. Give them the energy that they need to cling to your promises until the time comes for you to keep them. And Father, in this, I pray that you would also be a God that is greatly praised. That this is a church that will bring you praise, not from secondhand knowledge, but from firsthand experience. A God who brings a Savior, who saves us by his grace through faith. That a, the historical Messiah has come and he's, he lived, he died, he rose again, and he's also saving us now. Let us be a people that bring you praise for the ways that you work in our world and our life. And God, I pray that the testimony of the reality of your presence would be evident in, in how we think and how we live and how we serve so that we would be like a bright shining light on this hill that those in this valley, this, this world filled with darkness would be able to see the light of Christ and that you would receive praise 
and we would overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So God, help us keep always these commitments we make today. May they bring us closer to you. Father, thank you for the tithes and the gifts that we're able to offer back to you. You're so good to us. May there be investment in your kingdom. Lord, we pray all of this in the powerful name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.